0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft podcast where we talk about the intersection of sports, media and technology. Today, we've got three very distinguished guests two CEOs from Sportsloft members and a industry expert from the sports industry to talk about a variety of different topics that are burning in the sports business uh, landscape. But first, before we get to that, please make sure that you follow us on social at sportsloft.hq. Give us a like and a subscribe if you like this podcast, wherever you get the, your podcasts. And go to our website, sportsloft.co, to sign up for our newsletter where you can get a weekly digest of everything that's happening in the world of sports media and tech. So, without further ado, time to welcome our distinguished guests. First of all, I'd like to welcome Daniel Kirshner, who is the president and CEO at Greenfly, one of our distinguished Sportsloft members. And Greenfly enables organizations to um, transform their advocates into brand builders by really harnessing the power of social and digital. Daniel, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here, Yanni. Tell us just a little bit about Greenfly, just add a little bit more context and color to what I've just told everybody.
1: Yeah, so Greenfly is a platform we work with many professional sports leagues around the world and and individual teams and uh, media companies as well, and we enable the collection, organization, and distribution of short-form content, so short videos, photos, gifts at scale across those organizations so everything from you know giving uh you know players access to content for them to share on social media to being able to package and distribute short-form content to broadcast partners and uh and to power the whole ecosystem the way that the uh clubs and teams get access to content the way they exchange content with each other it's the platform that the league exchanges content with the teams and just basically we light up the whole ecosystem around short-form content
0: Fantastic. So we'll have a lot of interesting conversations around short form content because there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the past week. I'd also like to welcome Nick Goggins. Nick is the CEO and founder of PumpJack DataWorks. You probably won't see this, but he's wearing the best piece of merch that I've seen in a long time, a PumpJack uh, DataWorks uh, trucker cap. And PumpJack has a, a platform called FanBank that enables sports organizations to unify their data and really maximize the value out of that. So, Nick, welcome back to the podcast and give us a little bit more context about PumpJack.
2: Yeah, appreciate it, Yanni. Uh, thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. Pumpjack, we're helping take the data to a marketplace. How do we get data from the whole asset value of our fan databases uh, and do more with it? And so what we're launching right now is a data marketplace and just taking that, you know, your databases into value. What's the value of it? And then how can you trade it and move it around with other partners? So we work with leagues, federations, governing bodies, as well as, as teams.
0: And we'll be talking about direct to consumer propositions, which are it, the, the core of which is obviously data. So, so really looking forward to getting into that. Uh, and finally, I'd like to welcome for the first time to the Sportsloft Podcast Pete Burns. Pete is the VP of Commercial Strategy at Delta Tray, and uh, Delta Tray, as you guys know, uh, work with a lot of rights holders to um, develop strategies for growing their direct to consumer business. Pete, welcome to the Sportsloft Podcast. Thanks, SportsLoft, for having me. It's great to be here and uh, chatting with you guys. So, Delta Trade obviously does a lot more than what I just mentioned. So, please tell us.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Delta Trade, as most people will know, right? Global business, um, working across the intersection between sports federations, leagues, teams, and and their rights holders, whether that's telcos, broadcasters, um, the kind of myriad of media operators that we've got um, got today. So, yeah, working working with them, bringing products, bringing services, and delivering. Best fan
0: experience fabulous well great great to have you on board and look forward to your insights so let's get it straight into the topics um and uh the first one on the briefing sheet here uh, and I'm going to take issue with my colleagues at Sportsloft is the continued growth of soccer in the US of course we are a largely european based uh, organization and podcast so the fact that it is called soccer in the briefing notes, clearly leads to a lot of questions. But that aside, um, the World Cup match between the U.S. and England uh, drew an, a record TV audience. Um, uh, fantastic performance by the U.S. men's national team. There have been a lot of interesting um, facts that have come out of that, uh, and we've been seeing the increased valuation of not just MLS teams, but also NWSL teams uh, and the growth of soccer in the um, in the United States. So... Daniel, we'll start with you. You're out in California. Uh, California is actually a hotbed of soccer in uh, in the U.S. How are you seeing this uh, this trend and this growth? I,
1: I think it's interesting. I mean, it's something that uh, you know it's always it's it, it's always around the corner, but at the same time, it's always growing. So people are always talking about when is U.S. soccer going to arrive? And every year, it gets bigger over the decades. Um, I think this is an incredible moment. First of all. Uh, you know, the way that the you know rights deals and streaming have done, you know, people in the U.S. are watching more European soccer and more, you know, Champions League soccer and more kind of high level soccer than ever before at enormous scale and consistency in the United States. And the rights deals, um, you know, around like the Premier League and stuff in the U.S. are, are really remarkable. So, so that's one thing that's going on, I think. The um, being in LA and especially with LAFC and Angel City, I think really are setting the standard for, you know, both relatively new teams. I mean, Angel City just completed their first season. LAFC is only a few seasons in. Uh, they just won their first championship uh, this year, by the way. Um, but just calling out the fact that uh, they've, you know, they, they both sell out every match at at their at the uh, at the Bank California Stadium. You know, they built a beautiful stadium right in the middle of the city, the right size for U.S. soccer, you know, which is, you know, I think around, you know, what is there, you know, 18,000, 20,000 or whatever that number is. Um, And just really putting on an incredible experience. So I think soccer is, you know, connecting really well on TV at a high level in the U.S. It's connecting really well as an in-person experience. And I think, you know, uh, the, I think one of the things that you about the U.S. is they like to see the best of the best for everything, and so you know I think the sense of the the standard of play I think on the women's level is already there. On the men's level, obviously, it's a work in progress, and it's also like a moving goalpost because I think what's happened is the quality of soccer around the world has just uh, continued to improve dramatically. The the search for talent, the development of talent. I mean, the U.S. really excels at talent development, but it's it's not a differentiator when it comes to soccer. And so, you know, obviously that that's uh, you know going to something that's going to have to continue to evolve. But it's it's an incredible it's an incredible moment. I think you know the World Cup coming here, including to Los Angeles in 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 four years, is obviously just going to be a really a really catalyzing moment. Um, Soccer has long been uh, you know one of the most popular sports for people to play. So people really know the game and enjoy the game from very young age here. I think it's a moment that's just going to continue to you know increase and expand and, and improve. And I, I do think that the, the World Cup will be a catalyzing event.
0: And the World Cup is going to be such an interesting driver uh, of the next phase of growth for uh, soccer in North America generally, but in the U.S. specifically. And what's really interesting about that is that obviously the women's game has traditionally been the underpinning of success in, uh, in the U.S., which is fantastic uh, and great. But then that pathway for professionals to go from college to a professional level not just the national team has always been lacking so that's that's uh, that's growing quite a lot nick what are you guys seeing from the data and the uh the the storytelling um of fans in the u.s um you know there's an interesting thing that depending on the figures the the u.s audience was actually equal if not larger than the english audience watching um watching the u.s uh, england game in the world cup are you guys seeing a migration to soccer? Is it becoming something that's 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 really more popular, or is it just that the infrastructure is now growing in order to be able to capitalize on the interest that was always there and underlying?
2: Yeah, I, you know, you hit on a couple of things there. I'll try to break it out. I think the the first thing I think just to, just a to level set is the, the women's game and the women's team is you know that's the number one most watched was you know women's final. So great, we're advancing as far as looking at. Uh, US soccer national as a whole um so i think you know everyone involved with US soccer has to be very excited about the results i think from this world cup and looking forward to uh, 26 now when you kind of break into the professional ranks of things i think you start to see the valuations from the NWSL are skyrocketing from what i've seen in certain negotiations over the last couple of months and i think that's a really great story and I think it's also very genuine. I think, you know, Daniel, well stated, you know, so the success of angel city, we're seeing, we we have some clients in in that space. Uh, and I, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's a very interesting one for growth. And I think that's on the back of just a really strong youth soccer movement that is uh, for lack of a better term, co-educational um, in terms of boys and girls playing the game early. And that part of the pyramid I think is, is, is growing a lot. And I see, that the clubs, you know, for example, like FC Dallas, or I was just with Philadelphia Union, you know, they're building complexes and things like this to support the community and in, in entering into the game. And I think this is a, a very good platform that's coming through MLS and WSL, even USL as well. Um, so these are kind of things that I think the structure is getting strong and getting stronger uh, as far as the kind of pyramid of US soccer uh, and I think it's growing, in, you know, for our North American cousins from, you know, in Canada and Mexico. But I think that let's maybe throw a little cold water on things. To Daniel's point, I think the American football fan, and I'm using that purposefully, is looking overseas, and you know, I see more uh, children, boys and girls, with kits from overseas, right? Um, you know, whether it's Real Madrid or Barca or Chelsea menu, et cetera, the usual suspects, right? But you see as much of that as you see baseball hats, if not more. And I'm in a heavy baseball mark, baseball football market with Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, I'm at the classic American burger joint and a lot of the eight to twelve year olds are, you know, wearing a Ramos jersey or something. You know, it's like the star power is kind of what I'm getting at. And I think that NBC Sports has done an amazing job with the Premier League and it comes on in a good point in the week of things I watch with my, my son uh, early in the morning and, you know, he's gravitating towards this. That's also put on with the ICC came through Dallas. So he's a Juventus supporter all of a sudden, so, you know, that is a, that, that is the element that I think that we need. I'll wrap this up is the star power within the MLS of homegrown talent. So like as American fans, we're becoming more knowledgeable about champions league and the different leagues in Europe and the players. But when you come over to the U S if I ask just to, a a hardcore sports fan at the bar um, Name five MLS players, you might get to two and, and let's, let's make that more complicated. That was not a star in Europe. And like, I think that's the next step for MLS is really helping promote the star power. And I think that, you know, this opportunity with Apple that they have is, is a really interesting one, but you know, it comes back to narratives and you need, you need the stars, you need the protagonist and you need an antagonist. We can get into that.
0: Who's the who's the bad guy? Uh, yeah, there's, the, the, there's, there's a few people uh, making a case for that at the World Cup as we speak.
2: Indeed. That-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't name any names in case we get into trouble. But Pete, you guys, <laughs> um, you guys deal with direct consumer propositions across the globe, including in the US. Um, how are you looking at this? Um, how are you looking at it from a strategic positioning perspective for Delta Trade to be able to go out and potentially uh, engage with that fan base? Uh, and where are you seeing them? Uh, where, you, where are you finding them?
3: Yeah, so I think it's. I think it's firstly a really fantastic opportunity for football. Uh, let's get it right in the US. And I think it's really important, right, to split out football fandom and and MLS fandom because. While there's obviously a, a close kind of correlation in in the country, as uh, as Nick mentioned, right, and and Dan as well, there's there's a bit of a separation. I think first and foremost, what you've got in the US, which is really interesting, is you've got high participation, and that that leads itself to kind of being closer to being a fan. So, you know, from from some of the research we've done, we know that um, soccer is is generally around third highest in participation levels across the US from an amateur perspective kind of underneath basketball and baseball and and what's really interesting and we've we touched on um on, on the women's game within the U.S. and how strong that is but you know nearly nearly half of all female players are under 12 so from a kind of pathway perspective and you sort of fast forward another four or five years you've got a real sort of deep fan base not just on the male side but also on the female side as well and I think The other thing, which is a key thing, which is different in the US to kind of what we've seen maybe more so in Europe is that actually those those families that that participate in soccer are generally higher earners. Um, And that's that's not necessarily a kind of proven rule across Europe where, you know, you think about the kind of big football stars. They generally don't come from wealthy backgrounds. So I think all of that sort of plays in from a kind of fandom at Attendance going to to the World Cup, and I think you couple that with the growth of the of the men's national team um, this year. I think there was only one MLS player in the game against England last week. Everyone else was playing across Europe or playing internationally, and I think that shows the strength and caliber of of the players and the pathway. And again, you know, we've already mentioned around that pathway from college draft all the way through to whether it's MLS or kind of future um, future clubs. I'm, I'm, Unfortunate, right? my cousin actually pays for um plays for Notre Dame at the moment um in their soccer team so uh, i'm am seeing seeing the pathway in uh, first hand basis and it, it's great espn show the games in the uk so i can stay up at 3am to watch him play um which is sometimes a good thing sometimes well not.
0: done well done i'm calling it notre dame and notre dame is a lot of uh, don't <laughs> worry of i've British, been, British <laughs> I've been corrected before <laughs>
3: <laughs> um but i think but i think just 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 tying that back obviously to, to mls obviously um we're we're very fortunate to work with the with the team at the league there um with the digital platforms across the league and the clubs um as well as some of the other north american sports as well but i think what's really interesting is is the deal with apple um it'll be interesting to see how that plays out how that raises the bar and the and the quality of the product in particular around the on-screen product i think what we've seen and i i talked from a an international fan right watching from abroad, but the participation in stadia the the fandom in stadia is is really high the quality of the the product that you see on on TV um it is good right field stadiums strong vocal fan base that that plays into a lot of the the core strength um I think the next stage will be how do you raise that player base how do you raise that quality of play and that's a a continual driver for every
2: single Soccer league or sports league around the world, and, and just just a one quick one there that I think you know is another flank of positivity is just the continued growth in a new term I just heard with the Iberian American. So that's that's considering South America, you know, from the descendants. So let's say Mexico, South South America. We see this a lot, obviously, with the, one of our clients, inner Miami, and basically the gateway to South America, etc. But there's also massive. Uh, Mexican national audience there as well. And that is one of the fastest growing demographics across the United States and increasingly upwardly mobile as well with purchasing power and things like this. So I think this is a huge win to the sale uh, of U.S. and North American soccer football uh, that I think, you know, 2026 is a real signpost to really showcase this kind of flourishing. You know, there's a whole history of, you know, that's kind of the signal that's created you know, sometimes from those fans and certain of these demographics uh, in inside the stadium that are passing on the, the song culture, you know, the kind of cheering, that sort of thing that picks up in these spaces.
0: So to, to, to wrap this one up and put a bow on it, will 2026 represent a tipping point in the MLS, which is obviously the driver of the domestic value and the NWSL, um, cracking the big four and becoming a big four sport? in the united states pete i'll start with you um i think it's a catalyst <laughs> I, I hate using sayings
3: right but rome wasn't built in a day and i think this is just another s- chapter in the journey of soccer in north america i think it will definitely represent a step change and will show everybody that the, the gap and the improvement since 94 um and i think the combination of fandom and then what can be achieved pre and post in terms of the playing standard and the, the caliber across the league and how that's significantly gone from strength to strength. I think all of that combined will, uh, will
2: support it. Mm. Nick, your views. I think this is a larger story than just North America, frankly, because if we kind of the global industry of football, I think we'll be at a very interesting point in it's opportunity and it's almost tipping point and really hitting a new level of monetization of the North American market as a whole. And like a lot of things are going to happen over the next four years. And, you know, what's going to happen with super league, what's, you know, do private equity, uh, groups start to close out different positions that also hold MLS franchises. And, you know, this is a little bit from, uh, you know Roger Mitchell of uh, Are You Entertains. You know has kind of a theory about the MLS team starting to buy. You know instead of it being a retiring Messi uh, getting the money together and you know bringing you know the next guy over at in in their prime and paying the premium for that. Um, I think it will be interesting to watch how that un- unfolds or does not unfold over the next four years to just say, you know what, we're going to accelerate this and balloon our values, and yeah, we'll we'll start sniping guys over and bring them over here and reverse the process. That will be an interesting thing to watch uh, and I think will largely be driven by private equity.
0: Hmm. If they can compete with the Saudi League and uh, all of (laughs) the other money that's being thrown around. Daniel? I mean, I
1: think, you know, like a lot of things that will accelerate, you know, something that's already growing and brewing, I I think, you know, when we talk about soccer, like obviously, you know, we have to include, you know, women's soccer, men's soccer. You know, I, I thought the, the point that Pete made about kind of, and, and there, I think everybody's made to some degree about to kind of differentiate between MLS and soccer growth. I mean, I have, I have the same experience going to my kid's school and seeing, you know, more jerseys for uh, European soccer clubs than for, than for us. Though so LAFC does a very good job here. Um, but I think that that growth going to continue as well. That kind of engagement with, with the, I mean, people here are watching the Premier League. They're watching the Bundesliga. They're watching La Liga. I mean, it's not you know they're they're watching all of these things. Obviously, the Champions League is like a big deal here, um, and so I think that's going to spur that as well. I think MLS is going to continue to grow, and and uh, I think it really is excelling at in person. It's really excelling at in person product. I think it's one of the best in person fan experiences uh, in the United States. It and it, it, to me personally, it rivals the. In fact, in many ways, it exceeds the intensity of most other sports. Yeah. You know, in LAFC, they have a whole section, the cheering section. Everybody's, you know, banging drums and smoking. I mean, it's just got, it's, it's an incredible experience to, to go to these matches. You know, same is true for Angel City uh, as well. So I, I think the Apple TV is really interesting. It's innovative. Obviously, you know, it's non exclusive, but, you know, not everybody watches Apple, but they're going to put on a great product. You know, I think the, the kind of, there's kind of a brand alignment, as you said, around that wealthier. Demographic and Apple TV is tapping into that wealthier demographic as well. Uh, by the way, description generally goes alongside um, you know purchase of Apple devices, which is is you know by far the majority device here, um, but but it, but still skews um, to, to that wealthier demographic. So I think you're going to see that that quality and growth and value um, you know continue to to expand. A rising tide lifts all boats, and uh, and it, it's all it's all going to grow. I think it's going to be a big accelerating event. But I I don't think it's just about uh, MLS. I think we'll see the impact across uh, European uh, football as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's move on to uh, the next topic. So ChatGPT, we are a technology platform and and, uh, all of our members are technology companies. Obviously, this is one of the most incredible stories to come out, reached a million users in five days. Um, uh, using AI for, uh, uh, creating content, writing code, writing contracts, all of these things that could be interesting to the, uh, uh, to the sports industry. Um, but also obviously raises questions about authenticity. You know, the, 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 the writing of content and automation of, 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 um, stories is not something new. Uh, there's a bunch of websites that have been doing this for, for a long time, just using AI to write basic stories about what happened in sports. Um, Nick. What about ChatGPT has been most interesting to you, and where do you see its applications uh, as uh, as an app, but also generally uh, in terms of AI coming into content creation and, and its application in the sports industry?
2: Yeah, uh, 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 easy question, Yanni. Um, yeah, yeah. I like to keep. So, I like to keep it narrow. <laughs> I think you know. Look, let's just all acknowledge it's the current thing, um, and it's all over my Twitter, um, and. We all know that Elon Musk was a major investor in it, right?
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm just going to leave that there. Um, So one thing I will, might be a fun little segue. I actually asked uh, the system and I'll give you the answer for our last discussion. So I asked the um, uh, OpenAI, why will soccer become more popular in the US? Here's the answer. Uh, This is what, you know, and so just for you guys out there that don't know what this does, I literally typed that into a system and then, it wrote the following paragraph within about 10 seconds. Um, And it says soccer is poised to become the most popular sport in America. As the nation's youth become increasingly acquainted with the sport, they will become more knowledgeable and passionate about it. The explosive growth of major league soccer and other professional leagues will bring an unprecedented level of excitement and competition to the game. While the continued success of the United States men's national team will provide a platform for soccer to be celebrated in the mainstream. The passionate enthusiasm of the game supporters will be infectious, drawing even more fans into the fold and creating a vibrant soccer culture that will be impossible to ignore. That's what the cool, computer says. I'll say. see you guys later uh, on. Wow. So, I mean, I might throw it.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't think we need to do this anymore. Just have the conversation with Chad. But what's interesting about that is that it, it, it says a lot without saying anything, right? It's, it, there's, there's not a lot of depth or, or, or context or analysis to it
2: correct and i think this is this is kind of the point i wanted to say is to to the humanists in the room um you know is that's a vapid string of platitudes um and uh it's it's interesting that it can kick it out there's so there's lots of interesting ways this can go but you know there were no stats there's no i mean and you can get them there you know that's the next thing that I was like chatting and that's it's, it's so it's you know i mean it's really cool research tool uh when you're like you know what's the total attendance of you know, MLS for the last five years, phew, spits it out kind of like Google, right? Um, now there, there, there's some holes and gaps in it. Uh, one thing that I think is interesting about it too, is uh, the signup process. So it asks you for your phone number to verify yourself, which I thought was aggressive. So it's one of the fastest, you know, I saw somewhere on Twitter, it's one of the fastest growing uh, systems to get I don't know what it was, a like one or 10 or 100 million, whatever, a lot of people, right? Um, and I'm like, you know, why are they asking for my phone number for verification? Probably to ensure I'm a human or something. But again, I think that's a little bit out of whack. Uh, and then when you kind of say, okay, well, who's behind this? Okay, so it's, it's uh, you know, they're building a quite interesting database of verified phone numbers right now is, is something to kind of take note of
0: it's uh it, it's fascinating to kind of try to unpick uh, what causes the popularity right and um uh, Daniel your platform GreenFi, is specifically focused on generating content and make it easily easily shareable and uh and to to try to make it as as viral as possible to to get the best benefit. What do you think about um more generally the use of AI helping to automate certain processes for the sports industry and sort of making it easier for people to um, get to certain solutions.
1: I was going to say, so I'm not, I'm not generally like somebody who, who believes in hype around things. I've been very skeptical. I've never understood, really understood like what the blockchain does. It's different. Web three crypto. I've been a skeptic from the beginning. I've spent a lot of time, playing with chat gbt and in general looking at ai and i wish I think, you told me
0: that back in january that would have been very
1: helpful <laughs> um it doesn't mean obviously the problem of these things it doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money or lose a lot of money as well but what i was going to say is that um I, I i think this is something that changes everything i think this is the single most mind-blowing development in technology you know certainly since the internet um and you know well i'll say a few things about it i've I spent a lot of time playing with it so It spits out platitudes when you ask it general questions. You can engage with it. It's a chatbot. You can go back and forth. You can ask more and more refined questions. You can ask it to delve into this, to unpack this. And it gets more and more specific and more and more powerful. And this is, you know, I guess they're calling it version 3.5. Version 4, they already have internally. This is cut off completely from the internet. So this is drawing from one database and the training that you can do. I have tried so many different things that have been mind blowing, you know, somebody drafted an email for me to send, I literally dropped the email in there and said, you know, make this more to the point and shorter. And it did an incredible job of refining that email, I can drop an email chain in there and say, write a reply, and it's going to write a reply. What's interesting about it is it often takes positions, it makes a lot of assertions, a lot of the facts are completely wrong. You know, it makes arguments, and it fails in lots of interesting ways. But to me, I think it's almost impossible to overstate the kind of impact this is going to have on our life. This can bring an automation to what we think of as knowledge work in a way that we really have never had before. So think about the kind of chat GPT and how to use it. Like I've been using it as sort of and I, I've seen this analogy elsewhere, it's not for me, but just as having, you know, a really talented intern or assistant, or, you know, write a first draft of this, take a cut at this. You know, I saw people do a SWAT with these different things and it put together the grid, the SWAT grid, and it pulled in all the stuff. And this is before it's like connected to live data. So it can take the kind of first cut, it can refine. You could say, you know, write up a lease for New York City for this amount of money, it spits out the lease. I'm a former lawyer. I think this is, you know, absolutely gonna change so much legal work. And so much of the writing and thing we think of as knowledge and human are actually kind of programmatic. Like think about the way my kids learn how to use an essay, you know, conclusion, reasoning, analysis, conclusion, like that's how you do an essay. It's kind of programmed into us. So anyways, I think it's going to affect all corners of our lives. I think this is, it's going to be a really big deal. It's going to change how we test people, how we evaluate people, what kind of skills we, we value in our society. I think it's going to have a mind-blowing impact. On sports, uh, you know, I'll say, I'll say a lot of things. So first of all, sports is live, it's human, it's in the moment. If you think about the sports experience, it's not something that AI can replicate. And I think that's really meaningful. I think events and experiences and moments and human interaction and physical interaction is going to be something that's It's only going to get more valuable in this context. You can use uh, AI to generate a lot of things, to refine a lot of things. A lot of other kinds of entertainment experiences can be refined or automated or potentially improved with AI. I mean, already you see this and, you know, I was reading about, you know, AI using an avatar for, you know, you know, a lot of the stuff that you might have had to program from a special effects you know perspective, you know, can now be automated, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of automation there, but, but the sports experience is not, it, you know, can't be automated. And I think that's really significant to kind of call out. Now, I think AI can do a lot around the sports experience. And we use AI, you know, already to categorize things. And what's interesting is like when we, when we use AI, you know, you can start with simple facial recognition, image recognition, logo recognition for content. But now we can use AI to do scene recognition. Is it a dunk? Is it a warm up? Is it a free throw? It can identify those kinds of things. And what's interesting about the automation of, of that kind of identification, which is uses a kind of pattern recognition that you can't even unpack it. It can teach itself and refine itself is that that enables a kind of curation at scale and personalization at scale. And I think this ties into all the other big trends that we're seeing in the industry when it comes to -to direct-to-consumer experiences and apps. Like, what is the fan experience? How is the fan engaged? How personalized is that? How personalized is the presentation of data? How personalized is the presentation of content? Having your own edit of an experience, your own Short form content, this ties into broader trends of short form consumption over like you know in-game viewership and things like that really changing. So I think AI is going to be a really powerful tool in enabling us to personalize the fan experience at scale.
0: That's really interesting and it's sort of a perfect bridge to our next topic, which I think ties just needs to be tied in with this conversation, which is about the growth of of D2C direct-to-consumer propositions in sports. Um, and Pete, obviously, Delta, you guys have been at the forefront of this for for, for a long time. Um, nothing could be more direct than engaging with a chat bot that replies back and there just aren't enough humans to be able to do that for every single sport organization to tailor an experience to each individual fan, right? So oh, tie, tie those two together for us and tell us kind of what, what you guys are seeing and where you see the industry going. There have been some Obviously, chat GPT we just talked about. There have been some fantastic um, uh, uh, storylines like Manchester United launching their MUTV for smart TVs and f- the FIFA Plus app getting a lot of attention to uh, to the World Cup. Uh, wh- where where are you guys um, focusing on and how are you seeing technology playing a role in that D2C proposition?
3: Yeah, completely. <laughs> I think um, the, the first the area where we start... With all of these um conversations around what what's the right d to c proposition is is we we boil it back to a value proposition, so what's the exchange that the fan is going to find and and it's going to actually feel there is value coming from the sporting organisation because I think you know we as we just talked about in the last topic around the push around re- increasing commercialisation and that that real laser focused in some parts of the sports industry to to heavily commercialise fans. Fans are starting to see through that. And I think, you know, just touching on the on the AI point for a second, you know, the authenticity of content and knowing where that content is coming from, whether that's a a journalist whose opinion is is one that you've followed for years and that you respect, or whether that's content that's coming directly from a player or from your club that's that's guaranteed. I think that authenticity is really, really important in that direct consumer relationship that's what the fan is looking for is are you just trying to get another buck out of me or actually are you rewarding me for my loyalty for my repetition my returning sticking with you through thick and thin and I think that's uh, that's the sort of first point which is really really important I think the other the other part and obviously we focus on this so much in the industry because content is king and and there's so much content today but actually Content's not everything when it comes to that that fan engagement. Obviously, there are so many distribution platforms now, whether it's um, going through social channels and, and connecting directly with your your favourite player or your favourite team. But actually, I think it's also an element of what are the opportunities and the experiences that you can deliver to the, to the fans if they're not able to make it into the stadium. And, and Dan, like you were saying, right, being physically there in stadium, experiencing something in the flesh. If you can't do that, because it's a limit on the number of people in the bowl, then what's what's the next best option? And I think actually that's where some of the elements around AI can become really interesting because, um, yeah, you're right. Some of the stuff that's being spat out today is it's okay, but it's nothing special. But actually what it really does help is it allows you to drive a level of personalization, a level of engagement that from a, a human resources perspective, you just can't scale. You can't distribute across the expectation. And I think that that's where technology can be really key is helping to support that personalization helping to support that kind of um you know a person in your a person in your pocket basically that you can speak to and 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 get stats and facts and and information as you as you kind of throw questions at them
0: hmm. and nick the you know one of the reasons that d2c propositions have been launched um up till now, and obviously we'll continue to do so, is a bit like Pete said. There was the there was the um, concept that content is king, and then everybody's pivoting to the idea that data is king. And you know, you mentioned ChatGPT getting validated telephone numbers all of a sudden. You know, millions of them um, uh, within five days. Is is that happening? And are sporting organizations geared up to be able to um, drive value and monetize the data that they are capturing through? increased personalization, increased, um, D to C propositions.
2: Yes. And so let me kind of break this down in a few areas and, um, just love the kind of last 10 minutes or so of this conversation. So, um, I think, you know, look, uh, what's going to be increasingly valuable is validating that someone on the other end is a human look at Twitter. Well, that was math must big thing, right? How do I know that these, that, how many people are following me and, and all that, right? Um, so, you know, the, the the proof that you are human uh, is, is an increasingly big thing. That's an advantage that sports has because of its natural community as an industry that's distinct than others. Uh, on top of that, there's always a tension between the value of being an individual fan but also being within the community of the fandom, like so. For example, if you're watching TV, watching the game by yourself live, literally by yourself, no, not a, versus why you have a watch. Why do you have a watch party and call, you know, or even bring your son or daughter to kind of come in and and pass it down, right? Inherently, we want to share these crazy human moments with other humans. So there's there's this interesting tension between personalization and shared community but i think what really interesting thing from the C side are value adds in terms of you know adding more people to the digital space so that you know you're you're getting that engagement uh of excitement coming through in in new ways and and i think kind of where ai can become interesting in 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 helping either you finding those communities or getting you know getting that group uh, experience that is so unique and is so valuable because then of course that's what ultimately is going to get value, not just to increase engagement, but for sponsors who want a piece of that. Um, And then, you know, again, you know, from, from my perspective, there's then uh, you know, a a different relationship that data has between all of these entities between the fan, the, the, the rights holders, you know, and and the uh, the sponsor that wants to lease this attention or engagement or association, and so you know, again, I think all these things are in a very interesting place as it goes to D 2 C, and I think that um, Apple in, is is clearly entering. Uh, they're just getting started, and I think we're going to see some very interesting things there because, from my perspective, from data, and I'll kind of sh- close this out. You know, they're already pushing on the data side forcing a permission-based ad economy, right? With the do not track, we've all experienced that, right? Well, we're also seeing how that's impacting Meta's stock price and their and their ad revenues. Um, and so, you know, what this is about is permissions to identify myself and where those things are happening. And again, I think when you look at uh, sports membership and the trends that we see with, you know, all of our clients are trying to add that up, It it, it is starting to kind of get coalesced and kind of, you know, uh, a growing new dawn, if you will, of a new value uh, for everyone involved, including the fan.
0: Well, we could talk about this all day um, and probably all night as well. But let's uh, let's start to wrap this up. Uh, and uh, I'll ask two questions again. One is we know Nick does and we know Dan does. Pete, do you also have uh, ChatGPT on your phone? Have you signed up?
3: I uh, I did sign up actually just the other day. So, yeah, I'm one of those million
0: excellent i guess i guess i'm gonna have to add one more number after this uh and then the final question is tell us your favorite sporting moment from the last week and i have i have a, a very a very distinct one for this and i wonder whether anybody else does uh we'll start with uh pete tell us uh tell us what you enjoyed
3: so i knew this question was coming and i thought i'd go very rogue and go off piste and then i i just struggled with that so i came back to um Gonzalo Ramos uh, for Portugal scoring his hat-trick against Switzerland in the, in the round of 16 brought in to, uh, to replace Cristiano Um, all the pressure and, uh, and he steps up with a hat-trick. So that was, um, that was nice to see.
0: It was, it was pretty unique, wasn't it? Nick? The
2: Hypnotoad. How many of you are aware of the Hypnotoad?
0: I am not aware of the hypnotoad. sounds like Sounds like I have two things to do after this podcast.
2: So, since I know we have an international audience, uh, primarily, uh, this is American college football, and the TCU Horn from my hometown of Fort Worth, Texas, are an underdog that is uh, in the college football playoffs in the in the semifinals for you internationals. We call it the Final Four. Uh, and this is this is not quite Leicester winning the Premier League, but it's pretty dang close. And the the hypno toad has become the rallying cry of TCU, which comes from Futurama for any nerds out there. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I went to the game, and um, you know, I, I, and their quarterback is a is a great kid who is up for the Heisman Trophy on Saturday, who was not the starter at the beginning of the season. He's had uh, Heart surgery. He uh, you know, has just uh dug it out and they've won all these kind of come from behind wins and it's just you gotta root for these guys. And uh so let, let's let's go horn frogs and uh let's let's make it happen.
0: Love it. I'm I'm gonna put it on uh on our Dan, Sportsloft Dan, to put some sort of link in the podcast description so that everybody can click on it and <laughs> I'll, find I'll out. Send more you, about yeah, it. I'll
2: send you a YouTube link of the <laughs> toad video they play at the stadium. It's uh, it's quite great.
0: Excellent. Mr. Kirshner, what's yours? Yeah, I'm going to
1: say a moment that I didn't actually see. So I had to, in the middle of the day here, uh, drive my kids to, uh, to, uh, so, to a tennis uh, lesson. And I was, this is, ties into the popularity of growing popular soccer in the United States. I was driving down Ocean ocean in, in Santa Monica, where there's lots of bars and restaurants that were all packed watching the game. And it was during the Argentina game. And the game was almost over, so I was driving, and I heard this incredible, cheering, screaming celebration. And I thought, there's a goal, there's a moment, and it was that messy save at the very end of that, of that match. That was really remarkable. Um, and it was just really cool to hear, like, just the, all the noise of, like, a, a, a sports moment going on in a match. Um, and, and it does, I think, really speak to just how tuned in people are You know, here in the United States, uh, you know, World Cup, obviously, the U.S. wasn't even playing that 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 game. Um, And uh, and it was cool to sort of uh, to sort of experience in that kind of strange way.
0: It's uh, it's great to see how the World Cup, despite a slow start, because it was in winter and uh, and you didn't get the normal build up that you do during the summer. Uh, seems to have still managed to deliver and get everybody excited so uh uh, let's 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 try not to do it again but uh definitely good to see that it hasn't lost the magic my own personal favorite is uh ashraf hakimi uh hitting the panenka to put morocco through um not no no disrespect to all of our spanish friends the the spain team is young and fun and a lot of a lot of fun to watch but what an underdog story and what an audacious way to finish just beautiful to to see that uh, uh that finish and the tears in the eyes of the moroccan fans it brought back a lot of memories for a uh, for a greek american of euro 2004 and uh the underdog uh, uh the underdog going all the way so uh, so again my pick to win the world cup morocco let's go um Gentlemen, uh, a big thank you for joining us on the podcast. Again, a reminder to uh, our listening friends, if you uh, like what you hear, please subscribe and uh, give us a like and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our newsletter at sportsloft.co, and also please make sure to follow us on social at SportsloftHQ. All that remains for me is to say a very, very big thank you to our three guests. Mr. Kirchner. thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Nick Gargans, thank you very much for joining us as well and for the excellent choice of headgear.
2: All glory to the Hypnotoad. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Pete, thank you very much for joining us as well for your maiden uh, appearance on the uh, Sports Loft podcast. We can't wait to have you back soon again. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. All
0: right, fantastic. Well, to everybody else, thank you for listening and we will see you again soon in the Sports Loft. Goodbye.